Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me, as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, today, we're going to start with another big deal from Warren Buffett, and then we'll discuss how limp advertising spend is creating some hard times for the NFL. Uh, so, Chris, Berkshire is buying Encore for uh, $9 billion in cash. It's going to be a majority stake that will value uh, Encore at about $18 billion. The, the news kind of broke right as we were coming to record our last podcast. We said we were probably going to have to talk about it. And you know what? An $18 billion deal in Warren Buffett, we've got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're buying Encore from the bankrupt Energy Future slash TXU. Uh, Encore is the largest transmission and distribution electric utility in Texas. It will join uh, Berkshire Energy. Berkshire Energy is part of their energy and railroad segment, which makes up about a quarter of Berkshire's net earnings. It's their largest segment at this point. Uh, the deal adds to, and this is a quote from the Wall Street Journal, the ever-expanding arsenal of uh, Berkshire Energy head Greg Abel. Uh, in 2015, he was mentioned as a, p- a potential Buffett successor by none other than Charlie Munger. Uh, he's known as an astute deal maker, so this deal is probably going to be pretty astute. You know, you have to think buying from a bankrupt company. Uh, Encore actually had a deal to be bought out for 18.4 billion dollars by gi- energy giant Nextera last year, and that deal got blocked by Texas regulators. So you think. Astute deal maker on one side, bankrupt seller on the other. Warren Buffett buying for below what a deal was agreed to be bought out uh, last year. You probably think, hey, this is probably a pretty good deal. And actually, some creditors of Energy Future are saying, hey, this might be too good of a deal. Uh, the rumor is that Elliott Management, which has a big stake in uh, Energy Futures bonds, it's a big creditor to the bankrupt company. Uh, they want to prepare a rival bid to top uh, Berkshire. So. Chris, you know, lots to talk about. We've got successor talk, Warren Buffett deal talk, bankrupt company talk, Elliott Management talk. I've talked a lot. Uh, Berkshire's got a big history with Encore and TXU, but I, I want to turn it over to you to kind of start wherever you want to. It's a big deal, even for Berkshire. It is a company that Warren Buffett knows well, uh, is invested in in the past, uh, uh, not to his profit. It's one that he specifically lists as a mistake saying that he misjudged the uh, the potential gain to loss ratio which of course you never really know that's the case but he he said that let's go let's go back so encore was part of TXU yep. which was the biggest uh, LBO leverage buyout in history mm-hmm. uh, so it was part of TXU they were bought out for 45 billion dollars by a combination of KKR TPG and Goldman Sachs yep. uh, as part of that buyout Buffett provided two billion of financing through their bonds uh, you know the company excessive leverage and really Falling natural gas prices uh, led the company to file for bankruptcy in 2014, and Buffett had to write off about 900 million of those two billion in bonds. But maybe he can look at this as look at that as just a deal fee to get to an 18 billion dollar uh, purchase of Encore out of TSU. Yeah, it's one I would have been easier on Buffett than he's on himself. I mean, I can look back and you can explain why it didn't work but at the time these were the people involved in the buyers teams that were the most knowledgeable energy investors and operators that i knew of and uh natural gas fell very low and stayed very low for an extended period of time kind of outside of what they had estimated and hedged for you know and one thing with txu and i'm actually quite familiar with txu one thing that happened is you know 
it almost took a, a couple black swans event. You know, it took nat gas falling and not just falling. It took nat gas falling for years because they actually hedged. They they kind of played the safe bet. It, they they uh, put on hedges for nat gas rolling yep. out seven to ten years. And they would have if they hadn't put those hedges on, it would have gone bankrupt years earlier. But they kind of played it like that. So it took a financial crisis, nat gas getting crushed, kind of fracking, discovering all this excess nat gas. So it took a black swan event. But I do think Buffett could be right to look back and say, hey, if I invest in bonds. Bonds with a six or seven percent return, and I lose forty percent or so of my money. Mm-hmm. Then, it, almost under any circumstance, I was—I probably made a poor risk-adjusted risk adjusted bet. Yeah, I actually at the time uh, before the deal was announced, in the public uh, equity before it was LBO'd, um, and uh, it does show that he's not so sick of the situation that he doesn't have any inventory bias or sunk cost bias. He's willing to look at this fresh today and do what makes sense today, even if he believes that he had made a mistake in the past. That is true, though. Encore is a, a completely different beast than than TXU. So Encore, it's a yeah, Encore is only the the electricity distribution. So that is a completely regulated business. Whereas yeah. TXU had a lot of coal generation. Encore will have basically no exposure to nat gas prices. I think a regulated business is terrific from the investor perspective. I think this is one he has very good information on. I think he has very good uh, potential regulatory route. He clearly thinks he does because he has a very lightning speed uh, assumption. I know. That that they've done a lot of groundwork laying uh, to do this deal in the right way. Yeah, so and that's one thing I, I, I wanted to touch on. So, you know, Elliot is, the Wall Street Journal reported this. This is not old news. This is not groundbreaking news. Elliot is preparing a beer uh, bid to rival uh, Berkshire's. And I have to wonder if Elliot's going to get there. You know, there is something called certainty to close. And mm-hmm. Encore's management was saying, hey, Buffett and us, we've talked to all the regulators. The regulators are ready. Buffett's doing this, and he wants to invest money. He wants to bring jobs to Texas. He's got a great relationship with the Texas regulators for this. And I just, even if Elliot comes and says, hey, we'll pay 185 I can't imagine that Encore's uh, bankruptcy court is going to favor an 18.5 bid over an $18 billion bid when Encore already had one bid blocked. Berkshire's bid carries basically no risk. You know, I just, I just really can't see that. I don't know what you think. I think I'm plagiarizing you saying that uh, the regulated, the aspect of the regulated investment is totally different than unregulated. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they're kind of energy. They use a lot of the same words, but the perspective from an investor is is completely different. In in this case, uh, Buffett, it fits probably perfectly. Buffett's two standards of elephant gun and having a good sense of what it's going to look like a decade from now. And I think this is as good as it gets uh, from the uh, overlap of those mm-hmm. two attributes. Uh, he has a lot of trust and confidence in Greg Abel. I am, as I've said on this podcast in the past, an Jane man and expect him to be the Buffett successor. I think and hope that will be the case. Although every year is... Buffett gets older, Ajit gets older, uh, we all do, but uh, but uh, Greg is kind of the best one of his generation operating at Berkshire. All right. I want to turn back to Elliot and Elliot's bit in one sure. second, but I, I'm going to follow up on the Ajit chain. You know, one thing that I thought was very interesting in one of the Wall Street Journal articles was there was an analyst who was saying, hey, look, it, you know, everyone was saying this shows the increasing importance of the uh, owned and operating segment for Berkshire yes. over the public equities. And look, anyone who's followed Berkshire has known that for years and years mm-hmm. and years. But one thing I saw one particularly student analyst say I thought was 
the more important that energy and railroad segment gets, the more likely it is that Greg Abel's going to be the successor. Because look, it's already 24, 25% of earnings. It's going to be more with the Encore business. And this is where they're trying to redirect money. The bigger this thing gets, the more it favors Abel. And as you said, the time time starts to favor him because he's, I believe he's a decade younger than Ajit as well. So, you know, it, it could be tipping a, a little bit of the hand of who's going to be the successor at this point. It could be one of the things I'm going to be peeking at with smaller tuck-in deals, uh, assuming that they have some energy railroad and uh, insurance uh, over uh, the next little bit is whether those all report and are very kind of uh, operationally focused around Abel and Jane, as Mm -hmm. I assume they will be, that there have been switches in the last few years where they're not reporting to Buffett, they're reporting to Ajit. I think that's going to happen with Greg. And it could be that whoever is the loser, I mean, these guys are both winners of winners of winners, but whoever's the loser between those two simply has this kind of Berkshire sub with a lot of discretion, autonomy, uh, deference from the other one, especially if it's from the younger man. And and I've got two last points I want to wrap up here with. One was you mentioned this Buffett using his elephant gun, and Mm -hmm. it's almost funny that you know he's writing nine billion dollars of cash for an 18 billion dollar deal at this point i don't even know if that it's like just a, it's a small it's a little it's a baby it's, ele- he yeah, shot like a, a baby elephant gun. and then the last thing i want to say uh some people think that elliot are uh they're tr- they're saying hey we're going to do a topping bid to try to press to get buffett to bump his bid just a little bit uh, i don't know what you think about that i have some thoughts on the game theory there but i, I don't know what you think i think i was a i was a shareholder of clayton Holmes when buffett came after it and there was so much consternation amongst the share Shareholders, uh, they would have loved the deal in theory, and then they saw it and they said, "Wait, if Buffett wants it, then we can't sell. We're value investors. We own this because it's a Buffett kind of investment." And it was actually a very contentious uh, a vote to sales process and litigation um, that I was kind of stuck in the middle of more than I meant to be. I think that this kind of a little bit might be the seller to a specific kind of seller's remorse, a seller to Buffett remorse, where you're looking at this and saying, "Well, if he wants it, I want it too." Uh, it, it's not as clear a fit. For Elliot to actually own this, uh, uh, but uh, but the idea that he would be engaging in g- game theory, I would say always, but certainly here. Yeah, so I, I think you're exactly right. You know, I, I think if you're Elliot and you say, "Hey, last year we had an 18.4 billion dollar deal, and utility multiples are gone, have gone up. How are we selling and this for 18 money. billion dollars?" Like it. it, it I'd be a little questioning there, but from Buffett's perspective, this is not a one-time game. This is a long-term game. If you ever look at any of his investments, he says, we do not participate in auctions. We give you a bid and you take it or leave it. I think there is zero chance he's uh, he's raising this bid. And if Elliot wants to blow this up and keep this company in bankruptcy, accruing bankrupt fees, I think he's going to say, all right, you take it. Enjoy. But uh, I, I think it's going through at the deal price. And I think uh, everybody should be pretty happy for it. So... With that done, let's uh, let's turn over to some hard times for NFL advertising, Chris. So uh, I'm going to keep a pun running count. So I called out one. <laughs> That's one. Uh, there were two at the start, but uh, Pfizer's Viagra is losing patent exclusivity, and Cialis is not far behind there. Uh, and the two of them losing patent exclusivity is going to result in some limp ad spend for the upcoming NFL season. Uh, you know, without patent exclusivity, a generic competitor is going to launch in December, and both of these brands have decided, hey, no TV advertisements. We've got generic. 
contracts. She generally pulled TV advertisings then. And this is not great news for the NFL. Uh, Viagra was one of the top 40 NFL spenders last year. They spent $31 million during the NFL season. Uh, Cialis also losing their patent. They're barely spending this year. I think limp spending. We can go ahead and throw that out again. Uh, and while viewers are probably are rejoicing at no longer needing to hear about the perils of a four-hour erection, NFL and TV execs are going to find this a hard pill to swallow. Uh, the soft spend comes as the NFL saw a small, a big ratings drop last year, and advertiser interest is also kind of starting to wane. Uh, so, Chris, we threw this in here probably because it's funny and we could make a bunch of phallic jokes and puns, but it intersects with two pretty interesting business issues that we've talked about a couple times. That's TV ads been going down, patent exclusivity issues. Uh, so, I, I want to turn it over to you. What do you think? Uh, I've gotten up to eight so far. You said uh, up to said, might count as a ninth. Y- yeah, I think got enough. Right. Got enough. Yes, yes, yes. Nine, nine, I was, I was I've, nine. Um, so uh, I have always been fascinated by pharmaceutical ads because I've always thought if you had some major health problem, you're not going to wait to see the commercial on TV. Sometimes where it's a fairly exclusive remedy, you'd kind of go to your doctor. They so I've never, But this is one clearly that is just made for advertising mm-hmm. because it's discretionary and it is recreational. Uh, and uh, uh, with little kids, I have had to explain the four-hour erection <laughs> is that, <laughs> for a three- and six-year-old. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it's so one uh, from the pharma side, Huge change, uh, probably the the cliffiest of uh, uh, patent cliffs uh, in terms of just the scale on the Viagra side, but on both of these sides. Um, so you know they, they're having to deal with this in the pace that they need to uh, replenish uh, their patented drug uh, uh, is is just fantastic. Uh, hopefully, it'll be fantastic for M and A. It doesn't always work out uh, as cleanly as I would think relative to how much money they have to put to work on the pharma side. On the drug ad side, and specifically NFL, it's a disaster. I can't think of what could come close to uh, filling this hole. And uh, oh, filling this hole! There's a we'll call, it, we'll call that ten. And uh, I, uh, I think uh, specifically to football. I think football is kind of a disaster within a disaster for ad spending. Yeah. So one thing I saw was the median NFL audience is 50 year old and male. Uh, the only one that's really better than NFL for ad for pharma ad spending is golf, which is 64 years old and heavily male. Yeah. And, and one thing I was kind of thinking, you know. Look, NFL ratings are down. I think sports might be a little less popular with kids, but I also think some of that is there's a lot more competition for viewing. We've talked about that. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got Netflix, you've got Facebook, you've got playing uh, video games. Uh, But one thing I was thinking, look, uh, uh, Viagra, Cialis, these are really good mass advertising, right? Mm -hmm. If you say, hey, I've got... 5 million 50-year-old men, you say, oh, hell yeah, we we should advertise this to as many of them as you can. As these roll off, pharma's future is increasingly cancer drugs, really expensive niche orphan drugs that only treat 4,000 people in the U.S. or something. None of these are well-suited to uh, mass advertising. And I don't know if I'm making this up in my head, but I'm kind of seeing parallels there with parallels to a future of the lot of advertising is in Facebook, which is direct targeting. We know a lot about you. We send a direct ad at the moment that gives you exactly what you want Absolutely. and exactly when you're most likely to buy. I see a lot of ads through Dollar Shave Club replacing Gillette with a viral video. I don't know if I'm stretching here, but I, I do see some parallels to that sort of stuff. And again, it, it is a little bit but of a stretch, but I, no, I, I, see I, think, I think it's a fantastic point, um, and I would just extend it slightly uh, from. Uh, looking at the type of drugs to just genotype mapping and genetic 
basis of so many drugs that it's going to be smaller and smaller and more specific. So even if it's not that you are in a disease category that's tiny, you might, it might be a big category, but you might be this little uh, coterie of people who react to a specific disease. And that's going to be, Facebook might even uh, be too broad, but certainly in the Facebook direction of ultra-targeted. Yep. And then along the lines of what you were thinking, I think a lot a lot of drugs are going to the cure route instead mm-hmm. of the treat route. You know, you, you think about the, the big hepatitis C drug whose name's escaping right now, but, you know, the big thing was it cost $100,000 to get it, but once you got it, you were cured of hepatitis C and it replaced a treatment that was thirty dollars to $35,000 per year to say nothing of the fact you still had hepatitis C, right? As you go from cure, as you go from treat to cure, you don't add, you don't really need to advertise a cure, right? A, right. You go to the doctor, he says, oh, you've got X and Y, we will give you the treatment for it. You don't have to have advertisement for it. So if pharma companies, they're still making a lot of money. Now they need to kind of think about switching from the annuity model to that big sales model. And mm-hmm. if they can get governments and insurance companies to accept it. But again, I wonder if we're starting to see a shift from this mass pharma advertising and uh, very interesting times to see that. Yeah, I'll give cure, you last thoughts. Cures are terrible for ads. They, they were, cures are terrible for ads, and they're terrible for state budgets. You know, a lot of states, they were kind of saying, hey, we can't pay for this hepatitis C cure because we've only budgeted in the treatment. It's like, well, yeah, this year you'll be a little bit in the hole, but think about all those people who you don't have to pay for treatments for the next 10 years. And they were saying, can't do it. We have to have a balanced budget. So it, it's awful for advertising, and it, it's awful for kind of – Things that can't see longer-term accounting-based, you know, NPV type thing. Anything else on your end? You know what is uh, a good thing for pretty much anybody in the demography that wants to watch sports is this podcast. It actually is very much our demography. So instead of maybe Pfizer uh, isn't going to be there anymore, but they can uh, listen to the Rangeley podcast, maybe we can add in sports. Love it. Love it. Uh, Look, that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. Uh, Let's see, which reminder we have today. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Uh, also, we have some exciting news. I know we've been talking about it for a while, but we've got some new podcast equipment coming in the next week or two, and we are getting a podcast editor in the next week or two. So hopefully the podcast sound and production quality should go up in the next few weeks. And I hope personally I get more intelligence in the next few weeks too, so the podcast will improve there as well. Chris, disclosure, I think we're Long Berkshire, and that's it. I was hoping for one last uh, pun, but I think I'm going to leave it at 10. We are Long Berkshire Hathaway. Have a nice evening. Bye.